Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am grateful for you and glad you're joining me on the podcast here on the Bible in Life. Our goal is to provide what I sometimes call blue jeans theology, and that is Bible teaching that's like in everyday dress. It's in the language of everyday life, uh, try to be set in the context of everyday life with the expressed goal of helping us follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. And so that's what we're after here on the the Bible and Life podcast. And so uh, thanks for joining me on this episode. We are in the midst of a just really exploring this idea of what does it look like to live a Jesus-centered life. And a couple weeks ago, we started this series with um, just um, really a text message my wife and I got from a, about her adult son in his 20s who just was really struggling to, even though he believed in Jesus and knew the way of Jesus, was really struggling to live uh, live for Jesus. And she texted us, you know, how, how can, uh, how can my son keep his life centered on Jesus? She was really looking for any book or resource on that. And that got me reflecting on this topic. So we've been, been reflecting on why we should do that. Like, what are some, what are some of the benefits of that? That was the first week. Last week, we began talking about, uh, just looking at some passages that say, here's what's involved in that. Here's what's entailed. Here's what it means to live a Jesus-centered life. And the passage I want to look at today uh, really introduces another important component of doing this, of living a Jesus-centered life. And in some ways, I think the truth taught in this passage that we're going to look at on this episode, in some ways, is like really central to this idea of living a Jesus-centered life. So central that it's going to be really crucial for how I want to discuss how do we do it? How do we live a Jesus-centered life? So when we get to those episodes that begin to talk about how can we actually live a Jesus-centered life? How do we do all of this that's involved in living a Jesus-centered life? The truth taught in this text that we're going to look at today is really going to be a key truth for that. And so, man, I hope you pay attention and you you think this through with me. And again, I would love your input as to questions you have or thoughts you have or what would be helpful uh, to you or what would you add to some of this. Uh, again, I've said this may become a writing project and your input can be really helpful. So if you've got some thoughts on this particular topic today, I would really love to hear them because it's so central. And it's a text. The text I want to look at is a text that we have talked about, I know, before on the podcast, but it's just such a key, key passage for how we should think about our discipleship to Jesus. And that passage is John chapter 15. Um, beginning in verse 1. And I want to just look at some various things out of this little section and reflect on it with you. One, to help us understand what's going on in the text, but more to help us understand it personally for this idea of living a Jesus-centered life. And so this is Jesus speaking. So in John 15, verse 1, it's it's uh, the night before Jesus' crucifixion, he and his uh, disciples have just celebrated the Passover supper together. And the next morning, Jesus will be hanging on a cross and dying. So we're right there in this context. Uh, and in that context, Jesus and John's gospel records all sorts of teaching that Jesus is giving to his disciples as sort of like his final words. Now, he's been warning them that he's going to be crucified and die. They're 
it so breaks their categories, they're struggling to get their mind around it. They keep kind of resisting the idea, but now we're right on the cusp of it. It's the night before. And Jesus, in that context, says these words to his disciples. Let's read John 15, 1 through 3. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, there's some things that would be helpful to assist in understanding what's going on here. Uh, this imagery that Jesus is using has kind of a everyday cultural context as well as a little bit of a theological context to the imagery that Jesus is using. So the everyday cultural context to get us started here is a vineyard, a grape vineyard. Where I live, about 35, 40 minutes southwest of where I live, I could uh, get in my car and drive 35, 40 minutes and I'll be right in the middle of grape country and there's all sorts of vineyards all over in that part of Idaho. And uh, so you have this picture of a vineyard with grapevines and, and trellises, right? And so you have these grapevines that are maybe four or five feet off the ground. And then you've got wires or trellises or something like that, where the individual branches coming off the vine then can be trained to grow on those trellises. And so you got to picture that. If we're going to if we're going to read this text well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a grapevine, and that was everywhere present in Jesus' world. There was a lot of vineyards all over the place. And so he's using familiar picture, familiar imagery to them, just from the world of their day of a grapevine. The, the bit of a theological context, I don't want to go into tons here on this, but it's, it's good for us to know, is that Israel was, in the prophets, frequently described as God's grapevine, um, and God as the one who cared for, planted her and planted the vineyard and cared for the vineyard, right? So that's pretty common. You see it in Isaiah chapter 5. You, you can see it in uh, places in Jeremiah. This was such a part of their way of thinking that even the temple itself in Jerusalem in Jesus' day was adorned with um, the image of grapes and a grapevine. This is just kind of the way they thought of themselves. Well, here Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. That's how he starts this. I'm the true vine. Like, I'm the vine where God is actually going to be producing fruit. So if you want, you want to be a part of God's vineyard and you want to experience the fruit of God in your life, it's now, it's now being located down from Israel in total or from the temple in particular to Jesus himself. He's the true vine. And so he is like the ultimate true real grapevine where God's work is actually at play, where God's uh, fruit is being produced. And so I'm the true vine, he says. My father, God, is the vine dresser. He's the one that's going to tend all the, the vines in the vineyard, and he's going to make sure the, the vine actually is fruitful. The branches on the vine are fruitful. What does a vine dresser do? Well, one of the things they do, they, there's a number of jobs, but one of the major things to do to growing good grapes is you got to actually tend the branches, tend the vine. You got to prune back unnecessary branches, right? You got to prune off old dead branches that are no longer fruit production, uh, producing fruit and all that. So verse two describes that. Um, this is what vine dressers do. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit 
he, the vine dresser, God, he takes it away. He takes away that. Like, so it's a, it's an old dead branch that was there. It's not producing any fruit. It's not useful for fruit production. He gets out his pruning shears and he lops that, um, he lops that branch off. Every branch um, that bears fruit, he prunes it so there may bear more. Notice that. So even the fruit uh, bearing branches, the fruitful ones, he cleans them up. He prunes them up and gets rid of uh, unnecessary shoots and unnecessary stuff so that those, those branches can be even more fruitful in the future. So they're pruned up. And the word translated pruned there in verse 2 is literally clean. That's important so you can hear the connection with verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. You lose the connection when they jump from imagery to more literal in verse 2 to 3, but uh, God prunes the branches that they might bear fruit. In other words, he cleans the branches that they might bear more fruit. You are already clean or pruned because of the word which I've spoken to you. And notice there in verse 3 that Jesus's word, that is his teaching and his commands, is what makes disciples prepped and ready to be fruitful branches. That's the point being made in verse 3. Now, he's speaking to his disciples on the night before his crucifixion, but John includes this in his gospel. For all of us as disciples of Jesus, this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means he's the vine and his disciples are the branches. He's going to go on and say that very shortly. And his word, his teaching, his instructions, and his command is what is used to make disciples clean and prepped and ready to be fruitful branches on the vine. Now, with that then, here's what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, Remain in me and I in you. Speaking to disciples, uh, after setting the imagery of a, a vineyard before them, telling that they're they're already clean. They're branches who are clean and ready to be fruitful. He says, remain in me and I in you. And that word translated remain is abide, literally abide, like dwell, remain attached. It's not like you just, you know, stop by for an occasional visit, right? And like um, when you feel like it, you're going to drop in and check in with Jesus, right? No, this is abide, this is continue. This is stay attached. Uh, this is remain. And, and then what Jesus says is, uh, he, he makes really a wonderful promise. Remain in me. And then here's the wonderful promise. I will remain in you. Like, we'll be connected. You can count on it. Like, his life, his goodness as the vine, his fruit-producing life and power as the vine will remain in us. He will remain connected to us as we remain connected to him. You can count on it. It's a wonderful promise. And then Jesus says this as he's fleshing out this imagery of disciples being branches and him being the vine. He says, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you, as disciples, bear fruit unless you remain in me. Uh, it's sort of a simple, like, Captain Obvious kind of reminder. If there is a branch on the vine that gets broken off of the vine or gets cut off of the vine, um, or if branches have the capacity for self-determination and broke themselves off the vine, right? Like to be broken off of the vine in any sort of capacity means that branch is no longer going to bear any fruit. 
It's just not. It has to stay connected, stay attached to the vine to be fruitful. Sort of, again, Captain Obvious, right? Like, it doesn't matter whether it's a grapevine, whether it's an apple tree, whether it's an orange tree, whatever kind of uh, fruit-producing tree or vine or bush it is, a branch has to be connected to the trunk of the tree or the vine in order for it to produce fruit. So he says, so neither can you as disciples, you just can't produce fruit unless you abide in Jesus, remain connected to Jesus. Now on the flip side, verse five, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So he's really drawn this analogy out. I am the vine, you as disciples are the branches. He's the one that produces or provides the life, the power, the energy, everything for fruit production. And you are the branches. And then he says this, the one who remains, the one who continues, the one who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Notice that. It's not like they have to try super hard to bear fruit. Their main thing is to stay connected to the vine and then they will bear much fruit. Fruit will happen. It will happen because they're connected to the vine and the vine of Jesus is the true vine that's powerful and fruit producing on God's behalf. And so you're the branches, you remain, abide in Jesus, um, and Jesus then will remain in you, and then fruit will happen. And then he says, for apart from me, you can do nothing, right? If you're a branch that's cut off from Jesus, you're not going to produce fruit just like a branch that's cut off from the vine is not going to produce grapes. And this is a, a crucial key concept for living a Jesus-centered life, like um, abiding, right? If we're going to live a Jesus-centered life, there's, there needs to be abiding in Jesus, remaining in Jesus, dwelling in Jesus, attachment to Jesus, being centered on Jesus equals living attached to Jesus. Don't miss that. And when we talk about living a Jesus-centered life, well, one of the key things involved in that, one of the things that means is it means living our life, our actual real everyday life, all the tasks, all the activities, all the time spent every day that we're living attached to Jesus. We're staying connected to him. We're abiding with him. Or to put it maybe in a phrase that's a little bit more um, you know, vernacular, the type that we use every day with other relationships, we're doing life with Jesus. Like being centered on Jesus means doing life with Jesus. Like you're, you're attached, you're connected to him. Now there's a handful of things that are involved in doing life with Jesus, right? Uh, there are practices that can help us do that better than others and help us do that well. But at the core of that, um, there's going to be the need to actually listen to Jesus and learn from Jesus. Like, you can't stay connected to Jesus if you don't ever listen to Jesus. And there's also going to be talking to Jesus, praying, right? Like, you, you can't stay connected to Jesus or any other person if you never spend any time with them and don't talk with them. And so there's going to be this mutual give and take where we let Jesus talk to us and teach us and speak to us. And he does that primarily through his word. And we're going to talk to Jesus and express our needs, our wants, our hopes, our affection, our gratitude to him. We're just going to, in other words, we're going to build a real relationship with Jesus. Being attached to Jesus, abiding in Jesus is an incredibly relational picture of 
going about our life in relationship with, in connection with Jesus, doing life with him. Um, And a key part of that, obviously, is regular Bible reading and praying. I know that's like the basics. That's so fundamental, uh, but it's critical. It's crucial. Um, is, Is having a regular Bible reading time, a regular praying time, as well as praying throughout the day and talking to Jesus as we go about our day. And if you've like, man, I've, I've just always struggled with having a regular Bible reading and prayer time. It's just so fundamental and so foundational to staying attached to Jesus uh, that I actually have a free little mini course on my website that's all about having a Bible reading and prayer time. And it talks about why we should do that and talks about the three keys to doing it consistently. And it, it, I, I try to model just one approach. It's not the only approach, but a, an approach to interacting prayerfully and relationally with scripture. So we're praying and talking to Jesus about what we're reading in the Bible. And so I try to model that. And so it's a it's completely free, free little mini course. I'll put a link to it down in the notes below. Uh, but it's available on my website as a free little mini course. So if that sounds like that would be helpful to you to figure out how can I actually live in a, a closer relationship with Jesus, well, key part of that is a regular Bible reading and prayer time. So I'll put a link to that down in the notes below. You can sign up for that at my website. Um, now, before we leave this text, though, at the end of the section of Jesus talking about abiding in him, remaining in him, staying attached to him, and if we do that, we'll bear fruit, and that's just crucial to, to really living as a disciple of Jesus and living a Jesus-centered life. Well, at the end of this section in John 15, Jesus says some things that brings really some delightful motivation to living attached to Jesus, uh, that actually brings some clarity to this call to remain in him and abide in him. Here's what Jesus says, John 15, verse 9. So skipping just a couple verses, we read up to verse 5, but skipping a couple verses down to just a few verses at the end, John John 15, 9 through 11, Jesus says this. Listen to how wonderful this is. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Do you hear how wonderful that is? Like, just as God loves Jesus to the same degree and in the same way, with the same devotion and commitment that God loves Jesus, Jesus says, I have loved you as my disciples. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for his disciples is the same kind of love that God has for the Father. That, my friends, is wonderful. That is, that provides some like security and some really motivation. Like who would not want to stay attached to and do life with somebody who loves them that much, right? Like Jesus loves you the same way God loves Jesus. And that should draw your heart to him and draw my heart to him. And so he says, I have loved you. Then he says, remain in my love, abide in my love, dwell there. Like this doing life with Jesus is a call to remain in his love for us and to live with somebody and do life with somebody who loves us that devotedly and that much. And so just as I, as the Father's loved me, I have loved you, abide, dwell, remain in my love. Then he says in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so Part of what it means to abide in Jesus, a key part of what it means to abide in Jesus and remain in Jesus is just doing what he says, keeping his commandments. Now, we're going to not always do them perfectly, but when we make a mistake, we pick ourselves up, we dust ourselves off, we we confess, we acknowledge, Jesus, I just messed up there and didn't do what you said. Um, Forgive me for that. He's gracious. He loves us that much, right? He's gracious. He'll forgive us. And we get back to, to, to 
following his instructions and learning how to do that. And if there's an area where we routinely struggle to keep his instructions, we're committed to learning how to do that, whatever that involves, right? So if we if we keep his commandments, we will remain in his love. That's what he says. And, and we'll live in the realm where Jesus's love is prevailing because his commandments are an expression of his love for us. His, his commandments are what's best for us. His instructions are wise guidance for life and they're best for us. For us. And so we're just committed to doing what Jesus says because uh, we want to experience his best for us. We want to remain in his love. And then he ends this section in verse 11 by saying, these things, these things are the things about the vine and the branches and abiding in him and dwelling in him and how much he loves us and remaining in that love. All these things, he says, I have spoken to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be made full. Uh, and I mentioned verse 11 on the very first episode on this series on being Jesus-centered as one of those key promises about how Jesus' promises for us are, are good for us. They make life better. Like who wouldn't want this kind of Jesus-like overflowing kind of joy, that your joy might be full, uh, overflowing, right? Like you would have that kind of joy. So when we abide in Jesus and we remain in his love and we do what he's asked us to do and we do life with Jesus, Jesus promises us that one of the things that we produced in us, one of the experiences we'll have is his very own kind of joy. And at least for me, I'm assuming it's true for you that experiencing his love and experiencing his joy provides wonderful motivation for abiding in him, for remaining connected to him, for doing life with him. And so living a Jesus-centered life means staying connected to, living attached to Jesus. And there's huge motivation for doing that here at the end of this section. We will remain in his great love for us and we will experience his kind of joy. So if you want to know that more fully and more completely, then organize your life in such a way to do life with Jesus, to read his word so that you know his instructions, so that you can keep his instructions and remain in his love. Uh, pray and talk to him both formally at planned times and at unplanned times and learn to do life, your whole life, every component of your life in deep connection to Jesus. That's a crucial component to living a Jesus-centered life. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I pray, pray that that's really just encouraging to you as it is to me. I pray that each one of us would uh, really walk with Jesus more and more closely as we go about our life. And thanks to those of you who make this ministry possible for your financial support. If you're one who supports the Bible and Life, the listener's commentary, thanks a ton. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you prayerfully consider setting up a monthly or even giving a one-time donation to make this ministry possible. All the support anyone can give, even if it's just a few dollars a month, is incredibly helpful uh, to, to making this possible. We're currently about 70% of minimum monthly need for this ministry, and we I would actually like to have more than that so that uh, I'd love to hire some help for some of the other tasks so that I could give myself more fully to Bible study and Bible teaching and all the things involved in that. And so if you've been blessed by this ministry in some way, would you prayerfully consider supporting it 
uh, in whatever way the Lord leads.